And then he was going to take and Photoshop guys' faces onto him. And I saw one of them. I saw Jacob. It was kind of interesting. It was, uh, <laughs> but I think if we do, girls, if you don't mind donating that to the firehouse for a moment, we'll see if we can get that on the website like as soon as possible and kind of see what these guys look like as cupids. So, anyways, but um, all right. So our next step before we get rolling here is. Uh, as most of you know, we started memorizing verses last week. We have our first memory verse, and I thought um, we might have it up here. Let's see. How many of you have your memory verse? We'll just kind of serve as a cheat sheet now that you, um, you can all say you remember it. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I wanted to, uh, let's see, give us a reminder or, or maybe just an encouragement as pastors we were talking about, and I realized maybe I was not as clear as I would have liked to have been last Sunday, but um, in the memory booklets that we passed out, there's eight different versions of verses there. So anywhere from the, the message um, translation on one side to the NAS on the other side and everything in between there. So we thought for the sake of maybe unity and simplicity, we'd like to just encourage everyone to start just as a baseline to memorize the NIV group of verses together. And then if you have a favorite translation beyond that, uh, you know, some of you King James only or some of you... Uh, message only or some of you you know uh, NASB the Great Commission Authorized Bible um, some of those we encourage you to memorize those maybe on in addition to that but if you would you know uh, try starting with the NIV just for the sake of unity because uh, I think that's a, a pretty standard translation so it will help and some of you might sometimes uh, choices for unity require choices of humility and so we might choose to do that together and then boy if you want to memorize you know any other ten other translations at a time that's wonderful too but so we'll start with the NIV so we can review one another and so we can ask somebody hey how's your memory verse and if they crank out you know the message Bible you go that sounds like you just paraphrased the version I memorized and um, but anyways what I thought we'll do to get started here just to see how well you did is I'd like you to turn to your neighbor starters if you can if you really want extra credit pull out your verse cards uh, and show your neighbors if you don't have them, you might tell the person sitting next to you. I think we're going to probably have to order a new set, some more verses as well, because I think we used up all of our verse booklets. We have a few left, but you might talk to Brad if you need, if you need a copy of that. We, we hope that everyone can have a copy, you know, even couples and everyone. So if you don't have one, talk to Brad, and we'll probably order a few more if we need them. But what I'd like you to do is turn to your neighbor and practice this verse. If, if your neighbor happens to be a guest or a visitor, you share your verse with them, and uh, they can look, maybe hand them your verse card, uh, make sure they got it right. Make sure if they're sharing their verse, they're not looking at the screen while they're doing it. Um, that verse was incorrect on the screen. Uh, anyone in Christ? Whoa, hey. That's, uh, that's, okay, that's typing, yeah. I usually get my verses, when I put them on screens myself, I get them word perfect because I just cut and paste them right out of a Bible gateway. But um, anyways, uh, why don't you take some time to practice the real verse. I was just checking you guys to make sure you got that right. But um, practice your verse for a second. You might even share... Um, one of you does your verse, and maybe another person can share what that verse means to you. We're going to take like one minute to practice your verse, and then we'll keep cruising with our service this morning. So practice and uh, correct anyone you need to, if you need to.
right. How many uh, How many of you got your verse right? Let's see a show of hands. Okay, wonderful. Pat yourself on the back if you would. Take that hand. There you go. Uh, wonderful. Good job. So next week we're memorizing verse, it's A2 on your card, so it should be Galatians 2.20. So uh, we'll check you next week for that. Maybe you can even check in your house churches this week and keep uh, going. We'll go one week at a time and we only have like 60 verses left to go. So maybe 59, I think, something like that. So anyways, good job. We're going to go ahead and pray and then we'll get started here. Uh, Let's see. There's one. There's memory verse. Am I going the right direction with this? No. Four. There you go. Aha. Uh-huh. Good kid. All right. Well, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll jump into uh, our series here. Heavenly Father, we do um, we do just look to you this morning. We do ask that you would meet us here. Please um, ca- capture our attention for the few minutes we have left together here. I pray that you would um, free us from distractions, from those things we might be thinking about for later today or yesterday. Or God, we just ask you would meet us in, in these few minutes. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that as we look at your words, Lord Jesus, they would call us, they would transform us, they would transform others even as they did the very first disciples who heard them. Um, so we just ask you would bless this time and meet us in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so we are um, doing a little series. We're taking a break from the, the book of Acts and we are doing a couple part series just entitled, entitled Extreme Makeover Life Edition. We're not doing the home edition. Some of you have some serious home edition projects going on and stuff like that. You might apply to get on the show if you need to. Uh, They'll help you out there. But we're looking at some ways that we can just have our lives not only remodeled, but just transformed from the inside out. And today we're going to look at it from the facets of um, a life-changing mission. And we're going to start by looking at... uh, You know, we're going to start by looking at some guys' lives who were changed from back in the days, back in Jesus' days. If you have a house Bible, you can turn with me real quickly here. And it's Mark. You can look at Mark chapter 1 here. And if you read the one-year Bible, um, this was in the one-year Bible reading this morning, so you might recognize it. Not to mention, if you've read the Gospels before, you might recognize it. Most of them have a section just like this as well. So hopefully it's familiar. If not, well, I hope you'll you'll catch what they caught back then. So this is kind of a, we'll start chapter 1 of Mark. It is page 990 in your house Bible here. And we'll just start in verse 14 and read down to 18 together here. And this is Jesus calling his first disciples. And it says this, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. So this morning, I think that kind of sets the stage of what we're going to talk about. We're just going to take some time to review what the vision of the firehouse is. And really, um, it's not our own vision. It's, it's really, I think, the original vision that Jesus gave to his disciples. 
And it's a life-changing vision. We're talking about extreme makeover. And if you just think about, this morning I was just trying to imagine these guys' lives. This uh, Simon, you know, who's also called Peter and Andrew. And how Jesus came and he called them as fishermen. They were working with their nets. They were getting ready to get out and get after the fish. But he said, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And their response to that calling transformed their lives. They went from these fishing nobodies, fishing goobers, um, who eventually were fighting over who's the greatest among them and probably who's the least among them and all these things. And they became men who, whose lives were transformed. But not only that, because these men responded to this vision that Christ gave them, there's been millions and millions and millions of lives that have been transformed over the last 2,000 years because these men responded to this new vision that Jesus gave them. And we're going to look at several parts of that vision that Jesus gave them and see how it relates to us today and see that it, maybe it might transform our lives or God might use us to transform the lives of others. And so, uh, let's see here. We're going to, we have a handout. Have we passed out our handout yet? Everyone have a handout and a, hopefully a... Um, a pen, if you if you don't have one, we get you a pen as well. Anyone still need a pen? Raise your hand. All right, good. Way to go, hospitality team. You guys are awesome. Uh, they're, they're on our house here, so I had to give them kudos. No. Good job, setup team, and we know you're going to do a wonderful job. Cleanup team, you guys are all doing good there. Um, so anyways, let's see. We're going to look at the mission that Jesus gave these guys and... Um, you know, see what we can learn from. Maybe for some of you have heard this before. Maybe it's time to be refreshed in these truths. Maybe this will be the first time you've heard them. And you might um, freshly begin to follow Jesus and respond to his calling. But um, So the, the first section we're going to look at here, the first verse, I'm going to click as we go. The first section is just simply entitled When. There's three phases we're going to look at. The first one is, is called When. Um, and that really, uh, let's see, there's... Uh, let's see here. There's a few. We'll, we'll look at this verse. There's a couple of verses. Um, I'm going to start by um, sharing Matthew or, or Mark 16:15. 15. Um, it's not in your handout here, but uh, I think we might have to memorize this in our memory verse system here. Mark 16:50. But um, Jesus said to them, to the disciples, um, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Let's see if that's word for word. That'd be nice. Uh, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. This is what Jesus told him. He said, go. Get out there. We're going to call this section, when. But go and take this good news to those who don't know Christ, who don't know the good news of forgiveness through Jesus Christ, about becoming a new creation, like our memory verse, about taking on a new mission. Go and take this good news to them. The Apostle Paul, he put it like this. I really like how he, he, um, he viewed this part of the mission. It's 1 Corinthians 9.19. And if you would, turn with me in your house Bible. It's page 1134. We'll look at this together. Page 1134 of your house Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's see here. One more page. 1134. There's a couple of verses that we'll look at 19 and to the end of the paragraph there. But this is Paul. He was also one who responded to the mission that Jesus gave and it transformed his life. But he says this. He says, 
Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. I think Paul just gives us an awesome example. He uses the word win a number of times. This is not a word that, you know, I thought up or the firehouse thought up of winning people to Christ. It's, it's a word that even the Apostle Paul used. And, um, Really, it's, you know, it carries the, the connotations. You know, it's not like you win someone to Christ or you lose them or you, you win the game or you beat them or whatever. It's, it's really, I like using even the word woo. If you think about I woo them to Christ. I try to win their hearts to Christ. And so um, that's really what, what the Apostle Paul did. And, um, you know, I think that's something that we can, if we're going to be fishing for the souls of men and women, that we need to start by winning people to Christ like Paul did he said you know I did I did whatever was needed to um, win these people to Christ the first point we have here win the lost the first blank I have you fill in is find common ground find common ground and that comes from this verse right here we're talking about Paul is saying hey you know to those who have Jewish background well I kind of met them right in the middle of their Jewish traditions and things like that as one who understood what they were dealing with and I shared Christ with them that way and to those that did not have Jewish or any sort of church background, well, I met them right in the middle of that and shared Christ with them that way. And if you know the context that he's talking about, some, some people got kind of stuck up on uh, whether they were vegetarians or whether they ate meat, whether they were meatitarians or vegetarians or things like that. But um, Paul said, hey, look, to those that are vegetarians, you know, I just kind of fit right in and I'll do the vegetable thing. And to those that are the meatitarians and they're eating all this meat stuff, that's fine with me too. I'll fit right in so that I can share Christ with these guys, so that I can share Christ with these guys. I do what's needed, you know, and uh, Paul just really tried to find common ground, connections with people so that he could have opportunities to share Christ. We need to find common ground with people. Um, One thing to avoid, we have to watch out for this. Sometimes people can say, um, you know, he says here... um, so that by all possible means I might save some. Some people misunderstand that as being like, hey, these guys are sinning, they're getting drunk, I should go get drunk so I can share Christ with them. He's not talking about that. When he's saying all possible, I think he's saying possible as in all that I could possibly do without sinning against Christ. And we need to make sure sometimes people get a little confused, like, hey, I'm just doing whatever I can to win them. Well, yeah, that's not what Paul was saying there. Um, I want to just encourage you, maybe you can write the word down right next to this point one here, just off to the side, winsome. Winsome. We want to be winsome for Christ. Um, Another word people often use in this regard is relevant. I like the word winsome better than relevant. Um, The Bible talks about winning some to Christ. Sometimes with the word relevant, it's like, you know, we need to be relevant to people. We need to know their music. We need to know their movies. We need to know this lost world so that we can be relevant to them. Well, relevance is kind of this nebulous term. What really is relevant? How far is too far? How far is... Um, but the word winsome, the thing I like about winsome, if you're being winning, if you're winsome, you can break the word down. Are the results that you're getting are winning some to Christ? If you're not winning some to Christ, you're just being worldly. 
Just being a worldly Christian. There's a lot of people that say, Oh, I, I listen to this music so I can relate. I know it's garbage and probably uh, grieves the Holy Spirit in me, but I listen to this and I, I watch that because I want to be able to win some to Christ. Well, if you haven't won some to Christ through that, you're just being worldly. And First Corinthians, Paul talks about that. He called some of those Christians, he called them carnal. It's another word for just worldly, just mere infants in Christ. So we need to make sure we're, we're winsome but not worldly, you know, and we've got to make sure we check the results. I like the quote from Winston Churchill in, in some of his fine British humor. He said uh, something like this, I'll paraphrase it, but he's like, no matter how beautiful the strategy, occasionally we've got to stop and check the results. No matter how beautiful our strategy is, sometimes you've got to stop and say, hey, are you winning anybody? Oh, you sure raised the flag of relevance. Are you winning anyone to Christ? Because if you're not... You might have compromised something that would help you be more winsome. First, the first thing we have to find common ground. The second one is this. You know, another thing about finding common ground, um, you know, just when you're talking to people, when you meet them, just look for things you have in common. Uh, I'm amazed by just start talking to someone and you know a city that you know people in that city and you know you start talking more. Eventually, you might you know, hey, I, I know that same person you know, you know, um, or. Uh, one of the things, if you want to find out if you have something in common with some people in Denver, just ask them about Jazz and Julia. Just say, do you know Jazz and Julia? And you're likely to just have something in common with half the people in the city already. If they don't know Jazz and Julia, ask them if they know Kenny. So between Kenny, Jazz, and Julia, they know most of the city. You'll have some common ground already. But look for common ground with people. Try to find things, the common connections you could have. The next one is, uh, put the, in the blank, is initiate. Initiate friendships. Uh, you can put down several verses here. I think of uh, Luke 19:10, which said, "For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost." Jesus came after us as lost people. He came after us. I think of uh, Romans 5:8 that says, "While we were still sinners, Christ died for us." You know, if Jesus waited until we got our act together, got our heart ready for Him, you know, He He probably wouldn't have come yet. But while we were still sinners, he came after us. If we're going to win the loss, if we're going to fish for the souls of men and women, we need to initiate with them. Initiate friendships. Take on that responsibility. You know, sometimes we're like, well, if they ask me about Christianity, I'll tell them. Good. You know, if, we waited to, if God waited to come help us until we asked, it would have been a long time before he showed up here. We need to go after them. Pursue. Uh, initiate friendships. Initiate uh, in looking into their interests, I think in Philippians chapter two says, "Don't look uh, look not only into your own interests, but also into the interests of others." If you're going to pursue someone, if you're going to go fishing for souls, look into their interests. Not be like, "Hey, I found common ground. They love what I love, so we're going to be great friends." But maybe they like something that you don't like at all. If you're going to fish for souls, you might look into that. I mean, only if you want to be winsome. So find common ground. Initiate friendships. The next point is this. Share the good news. Mark 16:15. we read, Jesus said, hey, if you're going to win people, you've got to share about the gospel. You've got to share the good news of what I did for them because the gospel can save their soul. Share the good news. Look for opportunities to share the good news. Um, really, the first two points, find common ground, initiate in friendships, you might say that that's, that's a way that you can win a friend. Uh, some of you might have read the book. I know when I was first getting started in the Christian life, someone gave me the book where I happened to read uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. 
If you have not read that book, I, I would encourage you to get that. There's a lot of, he draws on biblical principles in there. You know, he has maybe a different agenda, how to be successful in the business world and how to market and things like that. But he stole principles right out of the Bible about looking into the interests of others, um, winning a friend so that you can have influence in their life. Our influence is, you know, it's not some bad motives. We're not trying to get rich off of people or, um, you know, somehow cheat them. We're trying to share Christ with them, a life-changing relationship with Christ with them. But anyways, the point being the first two are a winning friends. Sometimes we, we might be able to win friends. Really the second two points here, um, point three and four, are about winning souls. Proverbs 11.30 says, He who wins souls is wise. Maybe you win friends pretty easily. Have you ever won a soul to Christ? Have you ever led someone to faith in Jesus Christ? Well, you haven't if you haven't shared the gospel with them. And the next thing, the point four here is help them overcome. Help them come to faith. Maybe you share the gospel with them. Maybe they're not ready for it. Maybe they don't understand it. You know, if you're fishing for souls of men and women, you need to help them. A question you can ask them is, is there anything preventing you from coming to Christ? Or what is preventing you from coming to Christ? A lot of times they'll tell you right there, hey, I just, I just don't know about the Bible. I just don't know if really Jesus uh, came back to life. They might share with you on the spot, and what that is is your cue for what you need to help them with. And uh, I've got a friend right now that I've been trying to, to win to Christ and, and developing friendship and I do lunch with him and stuff and I had the opportunity a couple months ago just to share the gospel with him just very clear presentation and he just told me wow you know this, this, is, you know, this is a lot so he's a little overwhelmed but he's like you know I, I'm just not ready yet and so we started talking about some of his reservations we, we have emails just recently here to catch up for the next time and talk about those and it's, a, it's an ongoing process we need to work at winning people to Christ. We need to help them come to faith. Uh, I don't know if you catch the um, the acronym there. Anyone see an acronym? I'm not so good with acronyms, but I thought it was kind of fun. Uh, fish. We need to be fishing for souls. Find common ground. Initiate. Share the gospel. Help someone come to faith in Christ. We need to be fishing for souls of men and women. The next thing we're going to look at here, this next phase, is is build. Um, see, all right, we'll keep an eye on the time here. But we're going to win people to Christ through sharing the gospel. But the next thing we want to do is, is build. Oh, this is the one. I wondered where that verse went to. I had a verse uh, change locations on me here. Okay, we'll back this up. This verse that I was hoping to have here, and I, I put it on the wrong slide, is uh, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Oh, it's in your handout. So you can read right from your handout there. Um, and it says this. This is Jesus again talking to these first fishermen and first disciples. And he says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This phase of build, we're talking about building disciples. You know, at the firehouse, our vision from the very beginning was to, to work at building disciples. There's a lot of goals out there in a lot of churches. Um, but one thing I want to make sure we distinguish between is Jesus said to build disciples. There's Christians. He could have said, hey, go make Christians. Go make a bunch of Christians that got a free ticket to heaven. Let them know how to get their forgiveness and how to get to heaven and then drop them, get on and find somebody else. 
But he said, no, go share the gospel and make a disciple. A disciple is a life that's fully devoted to following Jesus Christ. That's our next point we have. Make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. You know, we're not here to make people happy. You know, some some places it's like, well, if you don't please your audience, then, you know, they're going to fire you and get another pastor. Our church is not about that. We're here to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Um, we're not here just to... We hope that people come to faith in Christ, receive forgiveness, eternal life. All that's free. But becoming a disciple, that's serious stuff. It's been said before that uh, salvation is free, forgiveness is free, eternal life is a free gift. Discipleship will cost you everything you have. You can write down Luke 14.33. Jesus said, hey, you cannot be my disciple unless you give up everything. And I just want to just share some of these things. This is, Jesus was calling disciples. And sometimes, you know, I think it's, we feel like as, as Christians, I don't know if you can ever feel like this, but it's like you've got to talk someone into becoming a Christian. You've got to tell them all the benefits, all the, the package deal that they're going to get. It's so easy. It's so free. You're not going to have to do anything. It's the abundant life. You'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's what Christianity is all about. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said this. You write these verses down, Luke 14, and he starts off here um, Verse 25, he says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even the worst culprit of them all, your own life, he cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Then he finishes that that section, verse 33, in the same way. Any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Now, you may be some disciple of your favorite author or your favorite big growing church. You won't be a disciple of Jesus. He said you can't even start the process unless you die to yourself, unless you love Him more than any other relationship you have on this planet. You love the one who created them, your Creator. And I think sometimes we lose that. Sometimes I think we, we think we have to talk someone into it, give them all the benefits. And at the firehouse we're about being serious about making disciples of Jesus Christ those that are fully devoted to following Jesus and I do want to share a few things uh, that happen if you get serious about following Jesus what happens anyone what happened what could happen to you persecution we talked about that a few weeks ago in the book of Acts you start getting serious about following Jesus in your own life and then telling others about it persecution is inevitable and we just have to remember that. Um, but you start getting serious about following Jesus. And uh, you know, one form of persecution you're almost guaranteed to see is, is this. You start following Jesus serious with a bunch of others who are following Jesus serious. You know what they're going to tell you? You're in a cult. You're in a cult. How many have ever heard that before? You're in a cult. Yeah, anyone who's following Jesus seriously, I think they'll tell you that. And I, I just think... Uh, you know, I just think it's kind of ironic. I think it's like this double standard. I know in my own life, so when I was doing my own thing, following Rich instead of Jesus, getting drunk, being sexually immoral, dishonoring women, uh, you know, doing my own thing, people could care less. They don't care. But when my life got changed, I got sober, I started honoring women, treating them with purity, trying to protect them and protect myself, my heart, and trying to save myself for marriage. What do they say? You're in a cult. I think it's just this double standard. You know, to even, I didn't go even further. It's like, so you're living, you're living a, being drunk. You're chasing women. 
Say you have 20 to 30 roommates that are all doing the same thing, and what do they call that? A fraternity, a sorority. But you get sober, you start trying to follow Jesus, you try to put God's interest first, you get a handful of Christian roommates, and what do they say? You're in a cult. You know, that's hypocrisy. The world's full of that junk, to say it lightly. Um, I have two thoughts for you on that. If they say you're in a cult, which, you know, I remember when I first got my life together, I started going to this church in Fort Collins, some of you community church, and, you know, I remember this other girl, she came to Christ about the same time, and we were kind of like, you know what, we have wrecked our lives so much. I made so many messes in relationships, getting drunk, wasting money, all these things, and she kind of had a parallel life going on in her world. But we, we were like, you know, we've got this newfound faith in Christ. We see these people who seem very serious about following them. We're just going to jump, jump in with them and see what happens. But before we did that, we made this deal with one another. We said, hey, I said, Kathy, if, if this is a cult... Would you let me know? And she said, yeah, Rich, if we're in a cult, would you let me know? And we said, okay. And it's been 13 years ago, and we're still following Jesus Christ. And she's with the church up there, married, has kids. I found my wife and a bunch of kids, and we're still following Jesus Christ. You know what? And, and I, I want to let you know the first one is, if they call it a cult, who cares? Uh, the first church, the first disciples, in, in the book of Acts, you see over and over again, they called them the way. They said it was a sect. You know what that means modern days? They're in a cult. These guys are in the way. They follow Jesus, that cult. At one point, Paul is called a cult leader. He's not only in the cult, he's leading the cult. They, that's mentioned like five times in the book of Acts that they were a part of a cult. You know, if they call us a cult, if they say you're in a cult, you've got good company. Back from the very first followers of Jesus Christ, they said they were in a cult. The second thing encouragement I find is this. You know, Jesus talked in the book of Revelation, chapter 3. He said, he said there's some those who speak into this church and he said, you call yourself Christians. And he's like, I know your lives, I know your deeds, and you're just lukewarm. He said, I wish you were hot, hot for God, on fire, or you're just plain cold. At least you know you're checked out. But you're lukewarm. And he said, um, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I will spit you out of my mouth. Is what Jesus said. He said, be hot or cold, but never be lukewarm. And I want to let you know, men and women, I would rather have this pathetic world that we live in say we're a cult than have our glorious Lord Jesus Christ say we're lukewarm. Amen. I hope you buy into that, men and women. We're here to build disciples. We're serious about it. If they call us names, we're in good company. I keep pressing on here. I'm just some things you might write down. The way we build disciples, disciples are built through relationships, through friendships. You might write down Mark 3.14. Jesus picked his first disciples. He was making apostles. And it said basically he picked these so that they could spend time with them. He picked these twelve so that they could be with them. You know the Christian life, discipleship, it's passed on. It's a way of life. And you pass on this way of life by sharing life together. And so the first point as far as practicals and building disciples, you got to spend time sharing life together as Christians to, to become disciples. And the next point you might put down is you need to have committed, loving friendships. Sometimes people take commitment way too serious. I think of Jesus. He said, hey, look, here's, here's a level of commitment I want. You could write this verse down as 1 John 3.16. We all know John 3.16. 1 John 3.16, Jesus is like, you know this loving commitment thing? People take it way too serious. Here's the standard. 
says this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. You know, the standard is only lay down your life for one another. That's all he said. Hey, only be committed to the point of setting sacrificing your life for your brothers and sisters in Christ. So we're going to make disciples in loving, loving, committed friendships. The other one you might put down is a, of doing that is through showing people loving obedience, examples of loving obedience. You know, the Christian life is just passed on. Uh, there's a phrase out there you might have heard it. When it comes to discipleship, more is caught than is taught. People see your life more than they hear what you tell them over and over again. More is caught than is taught. That's why Jesus spent time with the disciples so they could catch the life. Sometimes we want to teach people how to be committed. Hey, you got to be committed. You guys, I didn't see you signing blood anywhere. you got to, come on, sign up. You know, you want to get someone committed. The way I got committed, the way a lot of you in this room got committed to following Christ is because you saw someone doing it and you wanted to be like that. You wanted to have that same love and commitment in your own life. You want loving obedience? You want someone to start obeying? Give them an example of someone who's serious about obeying God's Word. Jesus said, Hey, teach these disciples to obey everything I've commanded you. You want them to do that? Make sure they're catching that from your life and your speech, but they'll catch what's going on in your life. Anyways, we need to build disciples. The last thing we have here, the last phase is the send phase. Let's see here. Send. Win. Build. Send. We need to win people to Christ. We need to build them up in following Christ and being fully devoted. And then the next step is to send them. Jesus said this to, to his disciples after he spent three years training these crazy fishermen and these really these nobodies in the eyes of the world. He said this to them after the resurrection. He said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. He told them to go preach the gospel, go make disciples. And he also just said, hey, I'm sending you. It's time for you to do this. And there's a real phase in your Christian life where maybe, you know, it's good to look over your life and go, well, maybe I'm in the win phase. I'm still being won to Christ. Or maybe I've been won to Christ and I'm, I'm kind of in the build phase. I need to build up in my following of Christ, my growing. Eventually, you get to the send phase. That's where you have personal ownership of the Great Commission. Have you been sent yet? Are you in the send phase? Or are you somewhere in between? We each... We need to have personal ownership of this. I think about the disciples. Three years of training with Jesus. And one of the last conversations they had before Jesus died on the cross was their classic argument. Who's the greatest? Well, he called me first. You know, Peter saying, he was, I was the first one. He said, come follow me. And yeah, my brother tagged along. And James and John were like, yeah, we're the sons of thunder. We've got to be great. And, you know, they were just still arguing about who is the greatest amongst them. Eventually, eventually they caught ownership of this. They, they were sent, they died for sharing Christ with others. But they were, you know, I, I can just imagine what these, these guys were like. I think of a household here. I think of, a, I think of Zach and Alan and Kent in their household. Maybe they're smaller, but I can imagine these guys, you know, back in the day, they're following Jesus and they get into an argument. Who's the best? Who's the greatest among us? Who's, who's the greatest also comes with the territory? Who's the worst among us? And uh, there were guys just like Zach and Alan and Kent, and they started following Jesus, and their lives got turned upside down. They got turned right side up, if you will. They ended up becoming martyrs for Christ, just like these guys might just. But, um, but there was a phase where 
they were growing, they were being built up and following, and eventually they took ownership of it. And um, if you would, on your little uh, your handout here, I think about the idea of maybe make a little uh, baseball diamond, if you will, kind of have a little home base on the bottom. And what the Rockies just started practice this last week, right down to Arizona, they're kind of going to fall out. The pitchers and catchers are down there drinking margaritas in Arizona. Um, but make a baseball diamond. You got the home plate, you got first base, second base, third base, and with each one of these, maybe label first base, put win. Second base, put build. Third base, put send. If you want to draw a picture of a funny little guy batting at home plate here, um, something like this. You have this baseball diamond, and really, uh, I think for me, some ways it frames. Some of the things that go on in the Christian life, some of the things related to Christian maturity. We find ourselves show up on this planet, it's kind of like you're up to bat in the game of life here. And, um, but along the way, you know, you get one to Christ. Maybe people are sharing Christ with you and the good news and you, you make it to first base in life and you're one to Christ. And then from there people are trying to help you and build you up as a disciple, someone who's willing to throw away everything to follow Jesus. You make it to second base in the build phase. Then you make it from the build to the building into your life. You're growing, and you're finally someone who has ownership. You're around in third base. You've been sent. And then you're sent back. You make it to home plate. And guess what? You do it again. And if you really catch the Great Commission, this time you're not up to bad for yourself. You're up to bad for someone else. And you work at winning someone to Christ, getting them to first base. And then you work at helping them get to second base. And then you work on having them take ownership of this mission that will change their life. They round third and they make it back to home. And guess what? They're up to bat again for someone else. And you do this again and again and again. And the number of times that you do that, I think in a lot of ways, the scriptures would tell you that it relates to your spiritual maturity. And some people get stuck the first time through the bases. Maybe they've been one to Christ. They just can't get to the second base to be a disciple. They're like, hey, I heard this is the free life. Uh, do my own thing. You know, live the way I want to like I always did, except now i got a ticket to heaven. They don't ever make it to second base, much less to third base and catch the mission, much less to get up to bat for somebody else. I encourage you to look at your life where you're at. You're stuck in the, hey, i got one to Christ, and now everyone has to meet my knees and, you know, take care of me. Or are you in the build phase? Maybe God's been building you for 20 years. You've never made it to personal ownership of this mission. Maybe it's time for you to take ownership and step up. And step up to bat for somebody else's soul. And win someone else to Christ. And do that again and again and again. I know how this played out in my life. Was, you know, some, some people were reaching out to me. My coworker invited me to church. I was this guy. I thought I was a Christian. I told people I was a Christian. He invited me to church. And I eventually got one to Christ. Placed my faith in Christ. I saw these people living wildly different lives. Lives of purity. Lives of seeking God first. I wanted a part of that. And I was built into a disciple. Eventually, you know, after some guys helping me out and asking me, Hey, are you you looking into others? Are you trying to fish for others? No, I'm doing my own thing. I'm having fun. I've got all these other good causes. Eventually, I caught it. I rounded third base. And I went up to bat for others. I remember reaching out the first time back in 1996 at Colorado State. We started reaching out to some people on campus. And I went up to bat for some others. I remember reaching out to Brandon Poland and helped be a part of people winning him to Christ. 
and uh, through our small group and through the church and through all the things we were doing I got to be a part of winning Brandon to Christ helped him go to second base helped him eventually he caught a vision for another I remember it was like this light bulb went off in Brandon's brain and he started stepping up to bat for someone else I remember he helped share the gospel with Miles Yomamoto in the cafeteria I remember he, he and I sat down and shared the gospel with John Salmonson and John came to Christ and we helped John become a disciple. And John eventually caught the vision himself. And he went to get up to bat for someone else. And he found this guy, another guy in the dorms who was moved to his dorm because of disciplinary action. This guy named Tom Schweiger, who's sitting right here visiting today from El Paso. And Tom and Brandon helped, helped uh, reach out to Tom. And Tom was a believer, but he kind of got one to Christ in a, in a more real way, a more committed way, became a disciple. Tom caught the vision to reach out to others. Tom and John started reaching out. This thing goes on and on and on. But where are you in this cycle, men and women? Are you still stuck thinking about yourself? Have you taken ownership of winning someone else yet? That's what it's all about, men and women. This mission is not just meant to transform your lives. It's meant to transform the lives of others and help them see the lives of others transform all by connecting people to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and becoming a new creation taking on a new mission you know this this is what the firehouse is all about if you haven't caught that yet I hope you catch that I hope you get on with the winning the building and the sending others and help them to win and build and send others and I hope you get on a crazy cycle I've been riding this crazy cycle for over 13 years now and it's awesome and I hope you would all just get swept away in what God's doing it's all about Jesus said I'm with you to the end of the age it's all about him doing it with us you want to win some of the Christ, you're going to need His help, His grace. You want to build a disciple, you're going to need His help and grace to get that love in there. You want to see someone catch the mission, you're going to need Jesus' help to do that. But I hope you would all step up to that challenge to see your life transform, to see the lives of many transform around you. Um, let's just take some time to pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, I just thank You so much, Lord, for... Um, for coming into this world, for going after me, for going after each one of us. While we were still sinners, you died for us. We thank you for that. We thank you that you came after us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you gave us a mission where we could go and pursue other people just like you had people pursue us. Lord Jesus, I pray that the firehouse would be about winning people to Christ, building fully devoted disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, and sending them out to do the same. Lord, I pray that you would... Just take us on a crazy cycle of doing that again and again and again for your sake, for your name, for your glory. Lord Jesus, we tell you we love you. We do pray, Lord, that you would just help us to win people in this neighborhood, in our offices, in campus, that we'd win them to you, that we'd see them built up to follow you, that we'd see them sent out to do the same. Lord God, we just ask that you would do wild and radical things for this church and and for everyone in it. We pray in Jesus' glorious name. Amen. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us this morning. I hope that you would catch us uh, Wednesday night at House Church. And next Sunday we'll wrap up this Extreme Makeover series. Don't forget your verse next week, Galatians 2.20. Thanks again.